Howdy everyone, Jeremy here. On today's episode, we talk about the recent and only Texas gubernatorial debate between incumbent Governor Greg Abbott and former U.S. Congressman Beto O'Rourke. We specifically get into their positions on property tax relief and or elimination. We talk about the fact that there is a House Appropriations Subcommittee that was created to seemingly do nothing. And then, of course, we're a month out of the general election, so we talk about the upcoming important dates related to that election and a tool that you can use as a Texas taxpayer to help you make an informed decision. Stay tuned. Good evening and welcome to Taxpayer Talks, the podcast where we hold Austin accountable by keeping taxpayers up to date with news that affects their wallets. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. This is my partner, Jeremy Kitchen, our executive director. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Doing all right, man. How are you? Good. It's good to have you back. You know, I've been uh, doing the last uh, last two by myself. Uh, it's been kind of lonely and of course uh, we've missed you. So it's good to have you back uh, in the mix with us. Yeah, it's good to be back. I'm just, I'm glad we're, we're done. We moved. So as you can kind of see in the background, <laughs> so I'm glad we're done with unloading boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, anything else been going on with you this week besides getting settled? No, I don't think so. I think it's just more kind of like preparing for, you know, uh, the election cycle and then the pre-filing period that occurs shortly there afterwards. And then we're just kind of trying to make sure we're, we're ready for uh, those sorts of things as bills start to get filed going into the uh, regular session starting in January. Yeah, we're getting we're getting really close. You know, the election's coming up. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but good, we have some speaking engagements coming up next week, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, but let's go ahead and get into the news. Uh, I think the first, the first thing we have going on is uh, we had the debate between Abbott and Beto, so we have a clip we want to watch. So let's, let's take a look at that real quick. Campaign team has seen, said since taking office, property taxes have been reduced by $18 billion. Yet those reductions have not kept pace with rising property values that increase the taxes homeowners pay. How do you solve this problem without introducing additional revenue streams? You have 30 seconds. Sure. So one way that we have reduced property taxes is through those homestead exemptions. Uh, another way that we've done it is by buying down uh, the property tax rate at the school district level. And what I propose to do with this 13 $0.5 billion, if not more, is to drive down those property tax rates even further. My goal is to eliminate the school property tax that's imposed in the state of Texas so that people can genuinely own their own home without being taxed out. So, wow. I mean, uh, honestly, when I watched this live, uh, I started jumping up and down in my living room. And, and not necessarily because I think Abbott is going to eliminate school property taxes, but what this shows and why it's so significant is it shows that the message that we have been uh, promoting for the last year and that the grassroots and all of our supporters have been supporting for the last year has penetrated the top office in Texas. Uh, I mean, if you if you would have told me uh, last year that Abbott would have been talking about eliminating school property taxes so people can actually own their home, it's almost verbatim the message we've been sending out there. Uh, and so it's exciting for that reason. Uh, it's it's major news, don't you think, Jeremy? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, right, like, as you said, we're under no, you know, illusion, right, that it's just going to happen. Obviously, it's going to continue to take pressure from not only us, other organizations, but Texas taxpayers, right? Um, But I think what it does show is that there's at least an understanding that the, the kind of pre-existing strategy of just slowing the growth might not be enough, right? As you've got taxpayers reeling from just an ever-increasing property tax burden, as we hear multiple times, we've talked about multiple times on this show, of course, in articles and content that we produce. Um, I just don't think they could ignore it in the same way as before. Yeah, I think another thing I was paying attention to during the debate is uh, if you if you were watching, you know, both Beto and Abbott, uh, you I noticed at least that Abbott had just a slew of notes all over his desk, uh, and that probably speaks to his you know ability to debate. Probably speaks to the fact he only agreed to one, right? But the fact that he was going so closely every time he was asked a question, he was checking and circling notes. What this tells me is this was a note that he had already down so they'd already prepared likely to say this uh and so yet again very very significant i think uh, at this point now that he has made that proclamation it's incumbent upon us uh, as voters and taxpayers to now hold his feet to the fire because he said it we all heard him say it uh and he said his goal specifically he said his goal is to eliminate school property taxes so people can actually own their home Uh, And so that is significant. So I would ask taxpayers when we're looking forward, when he starts uh, getting into legislative priorities, that we would demand that this is a legislative priority uh, for him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Right. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to be about it. Right. I think the saying goes. And look, if this isn't, you know, on his quote unquote emergency agenda in early February when he gives a state of the state address, that should be concerning. Right. It means he's not prioritizing it. Uh, It means we're not putting enough pressure on people like the governor. Right. Or or lawmakers or Republican leadership, in effect, um, both the House and Senate. Obviously, they've all kind of said things in varying ways, maybe barring a speaker, uh, Dade Phelan, who's kind of been silent on the issue, but, you know, talked about using the budget surplus in some capacity in some amount uh, to at least buy down the school maintenance and operations portions as we talked about several times, the largest portion of the property tax in effect, if they actually followed through with some of that, some of what they've at least said thus far, right. IE let's say Abbott use saying using at least half of it, that would actually provide relief, right? Uh, it would yeah. actually be something that was impactful. Taxpayers would actually feel that as opposed to these kind of trinkets that we've seen uh, previously, that would be great. Now, of course the care, the follow on to that, that is that it also needs to put us on a path to its elimination, right, ultimately. Um, and so we'll see. Time will tell. You know, the legislative session is set to begin, I think it was January 10th. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of see where priorities are as that session uh, carries on. So, Yeah, I think it was, it was funny. You know, they were both, both candidates were asked uh, and to kind of juxtapose Beto's responses to Abbott's responses. He gave us the, the surprise, of course, was him saying he wants to eliminate He, of course, you know, like you said, reiterated the fact that uh, he wants to use about half of the surplus. Beto, on the other hand, came out when he was asked how he's going to, I think, take care of property taxes long term. His his first response was expand Medicaid. (laughs) 
<laughs> and his justification was that, you know, there's, uh, you know, basically we're paying for uh, all of these uh, uninsured uh, people, right? Uh, and then the, the second thing he slipped in there a little later was, you know, legalize marijuana, right? Which, you know, despite what your opinions on that are, um, uh, the reality is neither of these two things are going to make any significant uh, leeway on, on eliminating property taxes, um, because the vast majority of property taxes are tied to school, you know, the school MNO and INS, uh, that's, you know, 60, 70% of your property tax bill. And so, uh, I didn't think it was a very strong response from Beto at all. Um, I, I, I am under the assumption. I think a lot of people in Texas are under the assumption based on polling that Abbott is likely going to win in November. We will, we will see. Um, but, uh, it's kind of almost scary, right, to hear what Beto's serious response to, to property taxes, uh, tax, tax relief is. I, I think it should, you know, we should continue to reiterate, right, because we constantly get this in the comments and it seems to be this kind of misunderstanding. Of course, property taxes are levied at the local level, right? And that's what's kind of prompted this myriad of responses. It's what's prompted this kind of circular firing squad that we see that's kind of taken place really over the last few decades where the state gets to blame the local level. The locals get to blame the state for putting increased tax burdens on them, right, over the time. And I, I think it's worth reiterating that, like, our solution is just this system is absolutely terrible, right, to, to, to begin with. It's a terrible way uh, if we've got to fund government in whatever capacity, it's a terrible way to do that. Um, and it's something that's, that's not necessarily transparent, obviously, you know, in a debate like that, in a debate format that we saw last week or whenever it was, they, they have very little time to actually respond to those things. So they don't necessarily get into the weeds, but Beto's response on that was certainly lackluster to your point in which, you know, he didn't really give too many details. And also to your point, um, things like that, things like those fixes would just be drops in the bucket. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, our, our viewers can rest assured we'll be holding his feet to the fire. Uh, those who want real property tax relief, we would encourage you to encourage Abbott uh, to add these uh, to his list of priorities for the legislation. Uh, but let's move on to the next uh, to the next article. Jeremy, you wrote on uh, the subcommittee. Uh, so why don't you kind of explain your article and what's going on in the budget? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so it kind of came to our attention here and, and we thought it was interesting, you know, to see there was a, a bill that passed in 2019 that kind of prompted um, it, it was the legislature basically saying, hey, the legislative budget board, you are now in charge of producing a report, right? A, a f fiscal strategic review of agencies that are going to come under the sunset review process, right? And so if you're a fiscal conservative, you're likely a supporter of the sunset review process. Um, now, we can we can debate whether or not it's been effective over the course of, uh, of, of the last few decades, especially. But but, you know, every cycle right under the sunset process, there are a certain number of state agencies and programs that come under review. Right. And on the outset, it's supposed to be a review of whether it's efficient, whether it's effective, that sort of thing. Um, and, and if it needs fixes, what those fixes are. Right. Um, and so there was a bill that finally passed. Right. Uh, this, I guess, in 2019 uh, that essentially prompted the LBB to produce these reports for lawmakers to look at. Right. Okay, fast forward to the 87th session, right, uh, in 2021, and you had the House Appropriations Committee uh, chairman, you know, uh, Greg Bonin, actually appoint a subcommittee uh, that shared the same name, right? It was a, a verbatim here. It was the subcommittee that was specifically charged, right, with kind of taking these reports, right, reviewing them, that sort of thing, and also with the added um, 
the added obligation of kind of reviewing um, the uh, the federal relief funds, right, that came in. Um, well, okay, that that subcommittee gets appointed. It's composed of seven, you know, members of the overall appropriations committee, two taxpayer champions, by the way. You've got Steve Toth, Representative Steve Toth from the Woodlands on there. You've got Matt Schaefer from Tyler on there. Both are taxpayer champions, according to our fiscal index, are on there. That's That's exciting, right? Hopefully you have some kind of conservative stuff come out of that. And the reality is, is that even though the legislature in the special session did things like appropriate, right, some of the funding from ARPA, right, the um, the act that passed through Congress, the relief funds via COVID, none of those bills ever went through the subcommittee. In fact, that subcommittee now 560 some odd days right after its creation has never met. It's never considered any bills. And so it certainly has to lead people to wonder whether or not it was just political theater on potential fiscal prudence as opposed to um, actually doing something about it. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it becomes more and more obvious to those who pay attention to what's going on in the legislature. Of course, you and I uh, working in that building for a while, we understand that uh, the vast majority of things, especially that happen on the House floor and even the Senate floor, uh, is political theater. You know, a lot of these decisions have already been made. The votes have been whipped. Um, the budget, you know, uh, is something that uh, you would think that there's a little bit more going on behind the scenes as we're dealing with $260 billion uh, in a biennium. But the reality of what we're hearing, uh, at least the last few years, is there's not really a whole lot of meaning. It's really uh, Chairman Bonin and the LBB uh, just making all the decisions for everybody and crafting the budget by themselves. Uh, and this is shown in a number of ways. One is the subcommittee you talked about. Uh, we were talking earlier this week about uh, the LAR hearings, you know, and the fact that if you if you tune into these things, which are very hard to find, by the way, uh, it's essentially a bunch of staffers from the University of Texas, uh, likely at least, uh, asking these agencies uh, and, and quizzing them how much money that they were going to appropriate to them. The legislators are not even there. They're not even there. And so this, once again, just uh, is, is mounting evidence that the, the whole budget process is turning into this just big charade and, and big show where the vast majority of the decisions and appropriations are made behind the scenes by the chairman, uh, the LBB specifically, uh, and everyone else is out there just, uh, uh, I guess, you know, show, show that we're doing something, right? Sure. I mean, look, we've talked about it several times. The budget process itself is convoluted, purposefully so, right? Is that there's there's not a lot of transparency as to what happens. Obviously, it's not a topic that's the sexiest, right? But it is technically, right, the, the one thing that we elect these state lawmakers to actually do, right, is to pass a balanced budget, among other provisions. And, you know, as taxpayers, we should certainly be concerned always, right? Every, every cycle, right? What, how it is that lawmakers are going to budget, right? And fund state government and the various, the ever growing kind of burdens that they put on taxpayers, the agencies and programs that kind of consist within the state budget um, itself. We should be concerned about that sort of stuff. And we should absolutely be concerned when things like this are kind of put on autopilot and the lawmakers we elect aren't necessarily involved in the process to include lawmakers that are appointed to these committees by which they're supposed to have jurisdiction over these these things as you mentioned right as 
as former legislative staffers, we saw this so many times, right? How many lawmakers were not only not involved in the process, but they'd show up right on the day that they're supposed to deliberate the budget. And none of them would, they wouldn't necessarily offer amendments. They wouldn't involve themselves in the discussion. They already knew, right? The writing was on the wall and they knew that this whole process, it was already a done deal, right? It was, wasn't something they were involved in yet. It's something that I think arguably is the most impactful to Texas taxpayers. Yeah, you're right. And I think this is why we made the budget and specifically our idea for a frozen budget as part of the Texas Prosperity Plan. Uh, if you look at the the metric that uh, has been kind of the gold standard, which is population plus inflation, uh, it's a, it was a good reform. We passed kind of the final stage of that last go round, and that is one of the main reasons we have such a massive surplus. However, uh, you look at where inflation has been in the last year. And uh, we're looking at probably, I think estimates were around 15 or 16 percent uh, is going to be considered a, a conservative budget if you do the math based on uh, population inflation. And so uh, if we increase our $250 billion, $260 billion uh, biennial budget by you know 15 percent, that's massive. Uh, and for those who claim to be to promote small government and limited government and, and that already proclaim that government is too big to grow our government in one biennium by 15 or 16 percent is insanity. And so uh, I think a much more fiscally responsible way to deal with the budget would be to just freeze it where it's at until we deal with some of the stuff and use these surplus dollars to pay down on property taxes and, and other things. Yeah, I mean, these so-called fiscal conservatives, right, they all run, right, as, as these fiscal, all these Republicans at least run as fiscal conservatives. They've allowed our budget to grow exponentially, right, in the last really two decades or more um, here in Texas. I mean, it's on track, it's on track to, what, triple, quadruple, right, um, if not more here, uh, just maybe this biennium, maybe this next, the biennium afterwards. And as taxpayers, we should be concerned about that sort of thing, especially when you've got things like the federal government, right, continuing to run rampant um, on government spending. You've got now, we just surpassed, what, a few days ago, $31 trillion in debt. Yeah, that's the federal level. The state level doesn't look much better. Last I checked, we're at over 300, I think it's 350, $360 billion in debt. Texas's localities or municipalities, uh, we rank in the highest tiers of states in the union, Right. When it comes to local debt and yet as voters, for whatever reason, we, we overwhelmingly keep voting for some of these things. Right. At some point, uh, the rooster is going to come home to crow. Yeah, you're right. They, you know, a lot of times we're asked by our subscribers, you know, what can we do? And of course, we we always tell them, you know, hey, sign up for our fiscal note. Uh, we'll keep you updated. Sign up for the Texas Prosperity Plan. But in the short term, one of the, the, the easiest things to do is to vote. Uh, and of course, we have the election coming up in November. Um, and so why don't you give us a couple of reminders, Jeremy, about where we're at in, in, in the next few weeks? Sure. So, of course, the, the most important or most impending deadline, if you will, if you have not registered or if you need to check that you're registered uh, to vote, the last day to do that is this next Tuesday, October 11th. Uh, so make sure you check that there. You can go to votetexas.gov. It's the easiest way. Uh, it's the kind of the portal that the Secretary of State's website uses uh, for stuff like that here in Texas. Um, of course, we've got early voting, right? It begins, I think it's October 24th. It ends November 4th. The general election day is uh, Tuesday November 8th. And of course, you know, we 
right? As a reminder, provide a resource for free, right? For any Texas taxpayer, anyone that's interested. Uh, we've been doing so since, I guess, 2007, our fiscal responsibility index uh, for incumbent lawmakers in both the House and Senate. So if you're curious how your current lawmaker uh, rates on kind of the fiscal responsibility spectrum, um, you can check that out uh, by going to index.texastaxpayers.com. Um, the most recent legislative session is up there. And then you can see going back all the way to 2007. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just a reminder, you know, if, if we want fiscally conservative policies, then we have to put in fiscally conservative lawmakers. And so uh, I think a lot of people out there, uh, uh, some people are displaced and they're frustrated uh, with voting. But I would just encourage everyone out there to engage your government through voting. Show up at the ballot box. Vote for fiscal conservatives. Uh, only with fiscal conservatives in office who do what they say they're going to do are we going to be able to turn around this broken property tax system, our broken budget. Uh, and so don't stay home. If you haven't registered, get registered uh, and then show up in November. So, uh, and of course, after the election, we will uh, we will be going downhill straight into the legislative session. Uh, we'll be keeping you all up to date with everything going on in the next few weeks as the election approaches. Uh, but I think that is all we have today. And so we will see you all again next Thursday at 530. We appreciate you all being with us and we'll see you soon. Take care. Take care. For even more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to the Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan, texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks. <laughs>